0: And welcome in Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, January 28th, the year of our Lord 2021. We have got a jam-packed show. I called it earlier today on Twitter potentially the most balanced show that we've had. Since we've been here, which has been almost a year now, we're going to talk about, um, I mean, what? Uh, Colin, we're talking recruiting a little bit tonight, we're talking scheduling, we're talking hiring, we're talking predictions, and we're all doing it in the same show. So again, anyone out there who is daring to tell you that it is the off-season and therefore dead season with no content, um, just come over here because we've got a whole lot to talk about. We have already taken content out of our show today and pushed it down the road to Sunday. That's how loaded we are. Uh, We are going to talk about the SEC schedule, and I don't necessarily think what we say tonight is going to be in line with all the other takeaways you've seen. If it was, I wouldn't waste your time with it tonight. Kind of the same way with Josh Heupel in Tennessee. We did a reaction video yesterday. It's on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, so if you want to watch that, the immediate rapid reaction that we would normally do on the show, we did that. I got some more thoughts tonight that kind of add on to and extend from those original points. We're going to look at value plays. A lot of folks who have no clue about stock out there all of a sudden talking about stock these last couple of days, which has been fun. I actually will talk about that in a second. Not handing out stock advice, though. But I am when it comes to college football because we got some value plays in college football that I think, from a program standpoint, really need to be talked about. And last but certainly not least tonight, and in fact, we gave thought to leading the show with this, there was big news in the world of recruiting today. Now, if you've watched Late Kick... We do dabble in recruiting, but we normally talk about it from like this really wide 50,000-foot view. We don't really zoom in on individual players, individual programs, only because I want something that interests most to all of you instead of just one little segment. However, I'm going to talk about something Georgia did today, and that's because it has a big ripple effect. When we talked about Sark to Texas, I said this is going to have a ripple effect throughout the sport. I think what Georgia pulled off today you know, not in the next year, but eventually is going to have a big ripple effect because I think they're finally figuring some stuff out there. I think there may be some statements about Georgia that have been true in the past that may not be accurate in the future. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. And I was talking to you earlier, some of you online, And uh, on Twitter and in the email inbox. Uh, If you've watched all the goings on on Wall Street right now, there are a lot of people up in arms. There are a lot of people who are just shocked and stunned. And GameStop, man, I thought they were closed. Nokia, AMC, like where's all this stuff coming from? So it's been really fun. For us, it's been really fun for a different reason though. So I've been watching this and I've just kind of sat back. I don't own a single share of stock probably need to change that, but I don't own a single share of stock. I'm not really interested in that so much as I am the greater dynamics in play. And so I've sort of propped my feet up on the desk. I've sat back and, uh, you know, director Colin and I, we can chuckle at this for a different reason because director Colin and I, uh, really, you know, we run late kick. We don't have a huge team of 50 production types here. So we kind of run late kick by ourselves, but we've experienced a lot of what you guys out there who have been brave enough to put some skin in the game are experiencing. Um, When you remove artificial barriers from what otherwise should be kind of a free market, whether it be financial or media, it rubs a lot of establishment types the wrong way. And the reason I say we've been chuckling is because we've experienced this. We came here and we launched Late Cake on the 24-7 Sports Network uh, less than a year ago. And we've done incredibly well. We've exceeded virtually every metric and expectation that we had. But the proliferation of new content into the digital media space, it rubs some folks' who were more establishment media types the wrong way. And I'm not being disrespectful about it, but I talked about this about three weeks ago and uh, got a fair amount of traction on Twitter. And a lot of you had comments about it, or I wouldn't be wasting your time talking about it right now. But the reason I want to bring it up is because I have to credit you because you are the new marketplace. Once the barriers are out of the way, you are the deciding factor, which is the way any market should be. And so I talked about it the other night and I didn't mention any name. I didn't mention any company, I didn't mention any topic, but yet in classical form, hit dogs usually bark the loudest. And so some of the folks who I absolutely was describing got bent out of shape because they just assumed I was talking about them. And in many cases I was. They're not bent out of shape because you're wrong. They're bent out of shape because you have a voice. They're bent out of shape because I've got more power in my hand right now holding this iPhone than NASA had when they put a man on the moon 40 or 50 years ago. And right now, the barriers that used to exist in the world of sports media, twofold. Number one, it used to be distribution. That was the name of the game. And overhead. If this were 1995, Colin and I couldn't be doing late kick here. We couldn't be here, period. This studio wouldn't be here. There'd be no point because YouTube didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. The ability to stream digitally didn't exist. You used to need to have This great big studio or radio studio, so million dollar studio, and you used to have to have syndication deals. If you were going to watch me in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and your cousin in Tupelo, Mississippi was also going to watch me, someone needed to have brokered and signed a syndication deal. Otherwise, it couldn't happen. Well, now, with this thing called the internet and all this technology that you hold in your hands or you've got in your lap right now or you're watching via over the air on your TV screen, all of a sudden, you don't need it anymore. And therefore, the need for that distribution network and the need for that overhead, it's out the window. Now, the downside, as the establishment types would tell you in our business, is it's let a lot of crap in the room. And it has. There is a lot more saturation and a lot more people have voices and they would tell you some of these voices aren't worth anything. They don't need to be in here. Well, yeah, that's true. There are downsides to evolution and change. Certainly there are. But if you've ever been in a swimming pool, it doesn't matter how many times you put the bowling ball on the surface of the water. It's going to go to the bottom and it doesn't matter how many times you put the helium filled balloon on the bottom of the pool. It's going to float to the top just like cream will eventually rise. Here is what rubs some establishment media types the wrong way. The removal of those barriers has allowed some talented folks who otherwise wouldn't have had a shot because they didn't go to Northwestern. They don't have a classic J school degree to get in the space and to compete. Heads up. Technology has leveled that playing field a lot. And here's the beauty. No longer are those artificial barriers what really control things. You control them it's you. And if you like product A more than product B, it doesn't matter if product B has been around for 30 years and product A pulled up on the scene three months ago, you get to decide if product A or product B survives or sinks. So when you want to know why I ask you all the time, what do you want to hear? What do you want us to talk about? And you want to know why I thank you every show? It's because I at the very least, am of the understanding that you quite literally are the key to our survival and the only reason that we get to do what we do. And I don't care if anyone else appreciates it, I appreciate it. So that's the lens through which I have viewed all the Wall Street drama over the past few days. And uh, as usual, we really appreciate you letting us do, in some small way, what we get to do for a living here. Let's dive into this. So we're going to go a number of different ways tonight. Uh, Tennessee has hired Josh Heupel. As I said, we've already done a full reaction video on it, but it's been about 36 hours now, so I want to revisit it. Tennessee fan and non-Tennessee fan who just watches the show, how are you feeling about it now? Has your, has your opinion changed? Has your mood changed at all? You know if you watch Late Kick, uh, and we've been through quite a few coaching hires together now, you know that we kind of resist doing the classical grading of a new hire, We don't really handle it that way. I certainly have a lot to say, but I don't do that. This is a home run or, you know, this is a failure, a B minus, that sort of deal. And the reason that I changed that philosophy a few years ago is just from the simple realization that there are so many additional moving parts in these equations, some of which a head coach is not really going to have firm control of. So you can be the best in the world. If you get hired into a toxic environment, it's probably going to put a pretty low ceiling on what your potential is. But That whole philosophy of not grading the higher to begin with, it doubly applies here. Because here is the reality. And this is where we just got to be real with each other. None of us knows what the future holds when it comes to NCAA sanctions for Tennessee. You don't know. I don't know. I don't care what message board you're a member of. I don't care... Which athletic department your cousin works for, you don't know and I don't know. Now, the guy who can come the closest to knowing is Danny White, the athletic director, probably even more so at this point than a chancellor or a president because he has now intimate day-to-day knowledge. He knows what the deck holds right now. For us to even try grading this hire properly, we would need that entire picture. For obvious reasons, we're not gonna get the entire picture. But here's what I need to know as a result. So, because I can't know the full picture of what may be coming down the road from the NCAA side of things, here's what, with my limited knowledge, I do wanna know about Josh Heipel. Again, to extend on our rapid reaction video from yesterday, I need to know, obviously, what kind of staff is he gonna put together, but I kinda need to know with that staff that he eventually gets in place, can they stabilize the roster? And I don't just mean immediately. Uh, You've got a lot of guys in the transfer portal. A lot of guys have already left. I'm talking about 2021, 22. When we get to 2023, let's kind of use that two to three year down the road thinking, what's the roster they're going to look like? I mean, is it like dragging people over broken glass to get them to want to play for Tennessee? You're going to have just a a revolving door of the transfer portal? Or are you going to be able to convince the right kind of guys to play, build a solid nucleus? It's not going to be Alabama or anything like that, but build a solid nucleus and win the transfer portal and maybe get creative with name, image, and likeness to where in 2023, things aren't nearly as dire, maybe even with sanctions in place as you thought they would be. Number two or three, I guess, is the offense going to click? I mean, if you're bad, but I heard Bud Elliott say this the other day. He's dead on the money. You can't be bad and be boring. That'd be one or the other. You can be good and boring and they'll, they'll go for it all day. If you're going to be bad, at least make it interesting. At least go down firing. No one wants to see you run I formation on third and 17 down four touchdowns. No one wants to see that. So He's an offensive guy. Is Josh Heupel? You got to imagine if there's nothing else they specialize in, at least they'll specialize in that. And then here's the fourth one. This kind of has very little to do with Josh Heupel. It's a Danny White thing. The athletic director. Can he overturn the topsoil? There are a lot of elements involved at Tennessee that have been part of the reason that they are where they are right now. This was not just a Jeremy Pruitt thing. Because if you're going to look me in the eye, and to be honest. If Jeremy Pruitt's representation is listening, here's some free advice for you. If you were looking me in the eye in your Tennessee, and, and I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I guess the lawyer sitting over here somewhere, and you were to tell me this is all your fault, you didn't run this thing, you let things get out of control, I would say to you, okay, well, um, where was the oversight? to where you let me apparently run this program single-handedly into the ditch with no institutional control? Um, Isn't that sort of in your wheelhouse? Isn't that sort of above my pay grade? Shouldn't there be checks and balances in place where I'm not allowed to run things off the rails? But as we always talk about, it's a lot easier to blame someone else than to blame the mirror. So now we got a new athletic director in town he's got to overturn the topsoil. Whatever was the cause of the problem, you got to fix it. Whichever people are in the room that don't need to be in the room, you got to get them out of the room. So if the answers to those questions are yes, if we get a good hire in there that can stabilize the roster, offense does click. uh, Danny White can overturn the topsoil. The fan base remains engaged is another key aspect. If all those things happen, then the long view could make it such that even if sanctions are handed down, we're in a lot better place two or three years from now than we thought we would be. And that's the key question. I know we're talking about schedule later. So everyone wants to know what's Tennessee going to be in year one. I want to know what they're going to be in 2023 because that takes into account whatever the NCAA is going to do. Now we can keep our fingers crossed that it sounds a lot worse than it is, but if the expectation becomes reality, what are they going to be in 2023? Because you could deal down the same set of sanctions and scenario A versus scenario B could look radically different based on the quality of the hire that was just made. And then, and only then, will I really feel comfortable putting a grade on the hire of Josh Heupel. Moving right along. As I mentioned, the SEC schedule was released yesterday. Now, Colin, you can tell you and I do not run the SEC network. It is our experience. Director Colin and I, we we mine the data and analytics on the YouTube channel. We look at the click-through rates, average watch time, who's watching, all the demographics. If you've ever worked in TV, what YouTube gives you for free is like infinitely better than what your TV stations are paying tens of thousands of dollars for in the way of a Nielsen ratings report, which um, is about as technologically advanced as this old tennis shoe I'm wearing right now. And so we look at it, and what we can tell from that is, Schedules are the most bankable inventory that exists in the world of college football content. Everyone loves schedules. There's not a person when you say, hey, I got a new schedule over here that turns away. You may not care about the head coach of Tennessee. You may not care about who Ed Orgeron's hiring for defensive coordinator. You care about who they're going to play in week two. And so the SEC network did not handle it the way we would. I mean, Director Collin is showing you what I think is one of the most precious artifacts in the history of this sport. If you're listening on podcast, he is showing the helmet grid schedule. Number one, if you didn't have a printout of this on your fridge every year growing up, I don't know how Southern you really are. Number two, I'm going to give you some quick thoughts here. So they dropped it with 24 hour heads up in the middle of January on a Wednesday afternoon. I would have strung this out over four months. I would have made you suffer because I knew I had you. And if I owned SEC network and ran that thing, we would have had a week one special that lasted one hour, not an entire schedule special that lasted one hour. So as usual, and if you're listening on podcasts, this is one of the times where there is an added visual element that you probably need. But again, you can Google this SEC helmet grid schedule. It should be your background. As far as I'm concerned, it looks like Alabama has got an easier schedule in the West and it looks like Georgia has got an easier schedule in the East. And the reason for that friends, and it repeats year over year, it's the most obvious reason in all of sports they cannot possibly play each other. Therefore, by default, if you are the best in your division and cannot play yourself and everyone else has to, that is one more added, extremely difficult game on their schedule that's not going to be on your schedule. That's the hidden reward for being so good. Aside from winning championships, you don't have to play yourself. Spring game not included, which hopefully we get to see this year. So now that that's out of the way, Arkansas has got to do something. Arkansas Their scheduling philosophy is an issue. Trey Biddy, who runs the Arkansas site and does an excellent job over there, has his own YouTube video product that I would recommend you check out. Trey Biddy put on Twitter the other day or yesterday when the schedule was released a really good point. And if you haven't looked at this schedule, I mean, I had to write it down so I could remember this. If you haven't looked at the schedule, what I'm about to read you, you won't believe. You'll think I'm misspeaking and you will have to go see it for yourself to believe it. Arkansas only plays two SEC games in Fayetteville the whole year. So they play eight total. Only two of them are actually on campus at home. They play Texas A&M in Arlington, and then they play Missouri in Little Rock. And so these are previously agreed to neutral site deals, or in Arkansas's case, they play a home game in Little Rock most years. And so, listen, again, this is voluntary, so I'm not feeling sorry for them. I know the SEC knows about this, though, but... The way that they condense these home games, Arkansas's first conference home game is week seven. Their second and last true conference home game is week 10. There's a bye week in there too. So, I mean, they get Texas at home. They get some non-conference games at home. But I listen, that is that is a true competitive disadvantage because I, I don't care if it's, it's labeled a neutral site or it's labeled uh, a, a home game, but it's in Little Rock bottom line is you're packing up and going on the road, just like you would if you played at Memphis or if you played at Oklahoma State. I mean, you're going on the road. And so they are voluntarily going on the road two more times than uh, LSU is, for example. Missouri was a sneaky winner, I think, in this whole deal. Missouri's biggest games are Texas A&M. So that's very difficult. That's a cross-division opponent that you don't play every year. You got a m you got Georgia, you got South Carolina, you got Florida, and you got Arkansas. That's not an easy schedule at all. But having said that, you know you got to play those teams. The question was, when are you going to play those teams? Here's why this schedule was sneaky good, and Missouri is kind of a sneaky winner. It's not who they play; it's when do they play them. Missouri plays Texas A and a and M plays Alabama the week before that. Missouri plays Georgia. Georgia plays Florida the week before that. Missouri plays South Carolina. Carolina plays Florida the week before that. Missouri plays Arkansas. Arkansas plays Bama the week before that. The only premier opponent that the Tigers play all year that does not have a major opponent teed up the week before is Florida. Florida plays Samford uh, the week before. So Missouri, listen, the cards fell as best as they possibly could. Now, as you look in totality at the old helmet grid schedule, I know that it's tough and I know that it's an adjustment to the senses and the eyes to see the Cupcake Games show up again. I saw Brad Powers, uh, who, who, whose opinion I really respect in the odds-making world, said, if Alabama and Mercer, if all you did was take their true power rating, we would have Alabama as a 72-point favorite over Mercer. And as you see, Alabama does play Mercer this year. It's tough to see the Cupcake Games show up again. I know that. I will say as critical as people are of this, and as much as I would love to see things move to at least a nine-game conference schedule, I'm trying to tell you guys, with the way the current college football playoff conversation has evolved, you are not providing the powers that be in the SEC one ounce of motivation to change. Because if you're going to keep telling folks, oh, all wins are equal, all losses are equal, there is zero motivation when you know you've got the toughest conference schedule in the land, there's no motivation to add more difficulty and more hurdles onto the schedule. If you've got, for instance, the Texas A&M Aggies losing one game, and that's to the eventual national champ, and then you got folks saying, well, Cincinnati's got no losses, or so, so they should be ahead of Texas A&M. Like, if that's the conversation at the end of the day, if you got a lot of people legitimately pushing for that, and the value of a loss is just equal, it's apples to apples, no matter what conference you play in, and no matter who you played this year, why in the world would I ever voluntarily make my schedule tougher? The answer is, I wouldn't. Okay, It would be good for me, but I don't run the SEC. Greg Sankey does. Having said that, I will at least offer you a little bit of solace in the fact that pre-Iron Bowl week, It used to be cupcake city. It was, it was sponsored by an actual pastry somewhere in Birmingham. Well, now Alabama plays Arkansas the week before the iron bowl. Auburn plays at South Carolina the week before the iron bowl. Uh, that's about as good as I can do. Those are my takeaways from the SEC schedule. Obviously the good Lord created the months of May and June and July for us to continue to talk about this. So it's January. We've still got a lot more to get to. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Investment has been the name of the game in the social media world. And it's just it's it's filtered out into the regular world. I mean, a guy on the street corner right now is asking, hey, investment, man, you got any stock tips for me? Well, uh, no, we don't do that on this show. However, I think there are some very undervalued brands right now in teams and teams in college football. I had to whittle this down. Because I get aggressive. I am an internal optimist in the offseason. I always want to find the path. I got 37 teams right now that I think could win the national championship this year. So I cannot tell you what the next game stop is going to be. But I do think I can tell you a few teams right now that if you want to sound smart come December and not just 2021, but 22, 23, 24, these are probably the programs you want to keep a little bit of an eye on. Let me start with Penn State. We hadn't talked about the Nittany Lions in a few weeks. The last four years, before this last year, So, uh, 15, 16, 17, or 16, 17, 18, 19 Penn state's win total in those four years leading up to this past year, which was a debacle. And we'll talk about it in a second. 11 wins, 11 wins, nine wins, 11 wins. Then they go four and five. It was the COVID year, obviously now 2020 had disproportionate impact program to program. We have well established that on this show. We do not believe every program was impacted equally. There is no metric. I cannot quantify it for you. I'm just telling you when I watch a program go from 11 to 11 to 9 to 11 to 0 and 4 to start the year, I don't think that would have happened in a normal year. That's just my guess. I could be wrong. That's just my guess. However, there were other things going on there too. I mean, James Franklin had family issues behind the scenes that were kind of, it was well enough documented to where Penn State fans are probably aware of it. I'm not making excuses. I'm telling you this is probably a contributing factor. They had a new offensive coordinator in there. Worst possible time. No spring ball. Kirk Soraka ends up not working out. You got Mike Ursa at Gen. now. A lot of experience back. A hopefully a full spring to integrate his philosophy into Penn State football and offensively there. James Franklin, I believe, turned down the Tennessee job. I know Danny White wouldn't tell you that, but I believe the Tennessee job was James Franklin's if he wanted it. He turned it down. Again, that's my opinion. Not coming in a press conference anytime soon. He is fully committed. You hope he's reinvigorated. I think he probably got some facility promises that he was sort of looking to broker. And so everything signed off there. The roster's probably undervalued. It's not quite Ohio State. It's not close to Ohio State. And therefore, I think he gets overlooked. But if you look at it nationally, and forget about conference boundaries for a second, Penn State's in a really good place. You know, If I were to drop Penn State in the ACC, it would immediately become, well, there they are. They're, they're a premier challenger to Clemson, but yet it's not quite thought the same way in the Big Ten. Another program that I'm looking at is Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma, it's a little more high-profile program here, so it's already worth a lot. I still think the Sooners are undervalued. The immediate return— is there because they could win the national title this year. Like They're probably as legitimate a contender this upcoming season as they have been at any point under Lincoln Riley there. They have overhauled their philosophy. I could contend they were playing better defense down the stretch than both teams that played for a national title. They weren't as good a team, and even though they got hot in the latter portion of the year, I don't think they were ready to contend quite yet with Buckeyes or Crimson Tide, but I do believe they were playing better defense. Now, I just want to pause for a second, because I'm going to talk about this in relation to Georgia in just a few minutes. Did you think I would be saying that three years ago? I'm not telling you they were better than either one of those. I said they were playing better and higher quality defense than either one of those at the end of the year. Did you ever think you were going to hear that? No. Well, when we talked about Oklahoma back in the spring and I said, hey, I think they're going to eventually be a legitimate national title contender because they're going to play better defense. I got some pushback. And that's because you hadn't seen it before. But what I said and the point I made is there's no motivation for really smart coaches to continue doing the same thing when they're not getting good results. So. Lincoln Riley had already made changes. He had already brought Alex Grinch in. They had already started to radically overhaul their defensive roster. You just hadn't gotten immediate results, so everyone kept on saying, well, Oklahoma will never play good enough defense. No, they hadn't played good enough defense, but now they do. You know what else they have this year? A returning quarterback, a ton of talent returning all over the place. They'll have their best team, I think, under Lincoln Riley this year. So, They're a football team that is already an elite power, but now the competitive balance is there to where that's a really good value play, not to make the playoff, but to potentially win a national championship. Now, Oregon is in a conference whose appearance drags them down. And I think we all understand the dynamics in play there. That's why Oregon's kind of got to operate in a national approach. They recruit already at a national approach. That's the word I want to focus on here. When I mention Oregon, you probably immediately think, um... Okay, good story this past year, won the Rose Bowl the year before, I don't take them as seriously as a national contender, because why? Wait for it, wait for it, they're in the Pac-12, and no Pac-12 team can do this or that. Um, I don't think about teams like that. Oregon is a ticker two, obviously off the national pace, but Oregon's also recruiting at equal to or higher levels than a lot of teams that may be a little bit ahead of them in that national landscape. Do you understand, because I don't think some people do, you understand how elite their recruiting operation is right now? They're sitting at number six, not in the Pac-12, in the country, and are probably going to rise. we got signing day coming up less than a week from now, which will be live here in this studio. Hey, Oregon's not done. I got news for you. Oregon may finish higher than number six. They are currently rated higher than the likes of Texas A&M, USC, which having a good year, the Trojans are, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Florida, North Carolina, like all these programs are thrust into the mainstream conversation. Oregon, maybe not so much because of the affiliation conference-wise. Hey, they're recruiting better than those programs are right now. And they're obsessed with it. That is the name of the game there. Recruiting, they are obsessed with. It is a constant 25-hour-a-day operation at Oregon. I know exactly what I just said. So because of that, They are going to possess a talent roster that's not going to allow them to fail. And they're getting quarterback answered, hopefully, in this class. Now, Ty Thompson's already rated high. Uh, A little birdie told me there are some people out there that still believe he's underrated believe that fifth star should be next to his name and believe it should be Ty Thompson that's inserted right there in that discussion as top quarterback in the country or right there with the Drake Mays of the world, for example, Caleb Williams of the world. So, hey, for their sake, I hope that's true. I don't claim to be a scout here. I just know a few of them. But Oregon, keep an eye on the Ducks and also Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M was right there in the playoff conversation this year, but Texas A&M has either the good fortune or the misfortune, depending on your perspective, of hiding in Alabama's shadow as they've grown into an elite college football power. Everything's there, though. Now, I've I've talked a lot about Texas A&M. I believe everything is there, and the only real hurdle is, subconsciously, everyone knows I'm not going to buy into them until they get over Alabama. And Alabama, they got to play them every year. So as long as Nick Saban's there, can't really take the Aggies seriously. Uh, Well, I can. I mean, I'm a believer that eventually Jimbo can get that program, and maybe he already has, to a point where they don't need to win the West or the SEC to make the playoff. And uh, if you don't believe that, or if you're not a fan of that ideology, the last thing in the world I would advise you to do is support college football playoff expansion. Well, truth be told, that's probably the only thing keeping multiple SEC teams like, for instance, Texas A&M out. If you evaluate this program, everything is there. Don't be the person that gets shocked when AM makes the playoff. Don't be the guy who looks around and says, I knew they were decent, but man, they kind of came out of nowhere. No, they haven't. They've built the right way. Their infrastructure's in place. Their recruiting operation's in place. They've beat Alabama straight up on a couple of guys. I mean, McKinley Jackson last year, they beat Alabama straight up for him. And that wasn't some Texas kid where they had an inherent advantage. Like, they they went into, I think it was Mississippi, beat Alabama straight up for him. They've won some recruiting battles. They're doing a really good job there. They've built the nucleus inside out. They got depth along the lines of scrimmage. They got to get better on the perimeter at wide receiver and they got to get the quarterback in there and listen that's not insurmountable haynes king on campus already may be the guy at quarterback is what i'm saying so it's not like we're trying to look look far and wide for a potential transfer king may be the guy and if he is AM's going to be right there that's not that's not a program that even alabama is just going to bully and you know push off the street mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be a lot more like those classic LSU battles of years past if they get quarterback figured out if they don't it's 52-24 time every single year but those are some thoughts on a uh, good college football investments right now i want to wrap up the show by talking about georgia here's you a clean end cut colin We don't talk recruiting a whole lot on the show at a micro level, but we got to right now. It was a huge day for Georgia. We rarely do this, but I'm doing it, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm doing it. And by this, I mean talking about an individual recruiting battle. So here's the quick who, what, when, where, and why. Here's what happened today. So Gunnar Stockton, who was recently committed to South Carolina, he decommitted. He is, in my opinion, the top overall quarterback in the 2022 class. I think we may have him rated there, actually. Uh, he's he's obviously the number one dual threat guy in the 2022 class. He committed to Georgia today. He's out of Rabin County. All right. He's six one. He's two twenty. That's the key though. The why at the very end here. Why is this important? That's the key. So when this happened, like a lot of people thought, Mike Bobo was the reason he committed to South Carolina. Mike Bobo's at Auburn now. Maybe this is how Brian Harson makes a splash and he gets Gunnar Stockton. That wasn't what was happening behind the scenes. I was listening to Rusty Manziel and Jake and Kip and the guys over at Dogs 24-7 talk today on the podcast. And it was the day that he decommitted from Carolina, that he was in contact with Georgia and said, hey, man, I, I'm talking to you, Kirby Smart. Like, I, I think I'm leaning there. I don't know if I want any part of this Auburn deal. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm not in his head. I don't know. But the why is important. So I want you to think about something, because the reaction today was stark. You had Georgia fans who were over the moon excited about it, and then you had fans of other programs who uh, had a wide variety of reaction. You know, some people were impressed, but here's what I got a lot of in my inbox, and I didn't really answer many of them, because I plan on answering them here. Some people laughed, and there were a lot of these reactions. It was either, well, there goes another future-wasted, talented quarterback, late-round draft pick, or, well, Kirby Smart can't develop quarterbacks, or, "Uh uh-oh, Two five-star quarterbacks on campus at the same time, him and Brock Vandergriff. Where have we seen that before? Look, if you got doubts about whether Georgia can properly harness elite talent at quarterback, or if they can develop elite talent at quarterback, I can get on board with that. I know where that comes from. Some healthy suspicion about this whole deal, that's fine. But there's a difference between thinking that and saying things like, Georgia can't develop quarterbacks. There's a difference between saying that versus thinking, I just have some doubts. Because when you say they can't develop quarterbacks, that's where I got a little bit of a bone to pick because that sounds a whole lot like the crowd that not too long ago was saying, Oklahoma can't win in the playoff because Oklahoma can't play defense. You were wrong when you said that. Oklahoma wasn't playing good enough defense. Georgia hasn't developed quarterback good enough. But here's the thing about smart people. Sharp, smart football people have no incentive to remain the same if their current effort is not producing results. And so Kirby Smart's not stupid. Look at his last name. Kirby Smart's not stupid, just like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma wasn't stupid. They were looking at their respective results And they knew what you knew. It wasn't good enough. Didn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. So the last thing in the world they're going to do is maintain status quo. Therefore, in my mind, if I'm just trying to look at this through the eyes of an analyst, the last thing I'm going to expect are the exact same results. Something's going to change. It may be for the better or may not, but something's going to change. And so I think it's in your best interest to expect things to change. Kirby Smart knows He played Florida this year and got ripped in the first half. He played Alabama, got ripped in the second half. That guy understands they're not good enough at quarterback and haven't been. It could be that he already pressed the right button, and maybe his name is Todd Munkin, and taking away spring this year, just kind of knocked over those bowling pins and they weren't able to do what they wanted to do this year with JT Daniels and and Jamie Newman transferred out. But it may be that he's already come to that realization. You're just going to have a delayed year gratification on that because they haven't really been able to structure it the way they want to. But it's not about whether Kirby Smart can develop a quarterback. I got news for you. Nick Saban's never developed a quarterback, but what Nick Saban has done is installed the proper philosophy and cast the right vision. And here's the most important part, hired the right people, who are experts in that field. Steve Sarkeesian would be the perfect example at Alabama. Maybe Todd Monken. I'm not saying they're equals, but maybe Todd Monken is the perfect example of that at Georgia. And if that's the case, then this could end up being one of the very biggest recruiting wins in the history of Kirby Smart's tenure at the University of Georgia. And I'll tell you twofold why. Number one, Gunnar Stockton is just extremely good Uh, A guy can throw it a million miles. He's not 6'4", 220, but he's got an incredible arm. Incredible arm talent, high football IQ, still obviously room to fill out physically. But here's the second part. And this is a case-by-case basis. Caleb Williams, in this year's quarterback class, fits this description. There are some guys that are just magnetic and other players gravitate to. And this kid fits that description in spades when they got him to verbally commit today, you might as well have gotten about half a dozen other offensive talents and maybe even defensive talents to commit to Georgia along with him. They didn't all do it today, but I'm telling you, they probably locked up half of their 2022 class when they locked him up. And the final thing I want to address is some, some folks get defensive when this happens and they'll say, well, you know, recruiting, uh, he'll, he'll probably just decommit. Uh, no, he won't. No, he won't. Decommits happen all the time that kid's not decommitting from Georgia. And if anyone wants to challenge me on that, it's not that it's a certainty, but I would very comfortably wager that come signing day in 2022, he's in Athens. That's one I feel pretty confident in. So I just want to put it on the record because this is probably a video that we're going to reference several times leading up to the season. Just because you haven't done something doesn't always mean you won't be able to, especially when you have the coaching staff and the roster to do it. Now you just gotta press the button. I think Kirby Smart philosophically has pressed the button and now you're finally getting the kind of talent roster that's a reflection of what you would get had you already pressed that button. One of the first pieces of feedback I saw from this kid, Gunnar Stockton, today when I was reading over on the Dogs 24-7 board, I heard him say, you know, I watched them And especially when Daniels was inserted into the lineup, I really saw them do what previously they hadn't been willing to do, stretching the field vertically. That perfectly fits the kind of player I am. Well, uh, if he sees that, that's the most important set of eyeballs because he's a kid who's going to be on the field one day. So you got Brock Vandergriff coming in this class, five-star in his own right, Uh, five-star caliber, you know, let's not play semantics there with 33, 32, whatever. And then you got this kid, five-star caliber for next year stack as much quarterback talent on top of each other as you possibly can and then let the chips fall where they may. Had they not done that this year, they would have never had JT Daniels on campus. So keep doing it. I don't think both of them are going to be there four years from now. Both of them don't need to be there four years from now. That's the name of the game in college football, 2021 and beyond. Find as much talent as you can, especially quarterback, stack it on top of each other, put the appropriate pieces and coaching personnel around them and let the chips fall where they may. So I guess I'm buying Georgia football too. A reminder, as we get out of here tonight, I am, uh, yeah, we'll do it. Okay, so I'm opening up next week. I've already got a couple of slots filled. I'm opening up next week. Any of you, I've got a session in actually 23 minutes, Uh, one-on-one Zoom sessions for anyone interested in uh, kind of broaching the interest of entering the field of college football after that little soliloquy I spent the first five minutes of the show discussing. It's there for you. Got to, got to work at it, but it's there for you. And so, if you want to discuss that, if you want to discuss building your own YouTube channel, podcast, maybe you know working for a more classical media giant, whatever. If you're interested in it, book a session with me, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at latekickjosh. And I would encourage you to follow me there to begin with. Because a lot happens, obviously, during the week that we can't always talk about. So for Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Thrilled to have you with us every night that you're with us. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great evening. And God bless.